Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we have come to that point in this holy week where the purpose that you sent your Son into this world begins to unfold ever more clearly. As we traverse this evening and tomorrow and all the way through until Sunday, we pray that your word would touch our heart and our mind in the midst of this troubled world, that we might find hope in the midst of darkness and life where death seems to prevail. We pray, O oh Lord, turn our heart, turn our mind to the power of your word and your promises to a Savior who walks among us, who teaches us, who gives his life for us, and instills into us that gift of life everlasting through the forgiveness of sins. Be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. We have been traveling a long road through this season of Lent. A road, I believe, made much longer and much more challenging and much more difficult by the things that we face in the world around us. With the increase of isolation and loneliness, stress, and all that comes with it. Little did we understand when we began this journey that we in many ways would begin to feel the very things our Savior felt as his disciples flee in terror at the end of this evening. We've been focusing on the commandments and as I mentioned on Palm Sunday, we did them slightly out of order at the end. We've completed them all except for this last one, the Eighth Commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. This evening is full of those false witnesses. The story we know for Monday, Thursday begins with Jesus gathering in an upper room with his disciples for a celebration of that Passover feast. We're familiar with the things that took place on that evening. How when they gathered together, it was Jesus himself who began to wash the feet of his disciples because he, he met the need. A Jewish custom, in fact, a requirement of the law, if you will, was going unmet. And normally it would have been up to the youngest child or servant in the room to wash the feet. 
But in the very action of doing it, Jesus himself reminds us that he came to take on the form of a servant. To take on a task of those that that often others don't want to do. We've all faced those tasks in our own lives, tasks that we would rather farm out to somebody else because we don't want to do it ourselves. This is but a precursor of what's going to come. For which one of us would want to die for the sins of the whole world? Which one of us would want to take upon ourselves that task? But he does it. It's in that midst of of being with his disciples in the context of this meal of the Passover ceremony, the tradition of the Seder meal, which goes back thousands of years, that a meal that they were all familiar with, that Jesus begins to unfold the very things that are going to happen, not only that evening, but in what is to come. The Gospels tell us that in the course of that meal, Jesus begins to turn the talk to that of betrayal. You can imagine the conversation going on around the meal. Maybe it's in some ways like some of the conversations that we might have at family events and family meals. Conversations about which football team is going to win the Super Bowl or or where we're going to go next year for vacation or how we spent the last year. Conversations of catching up of talking about what the future might hold. And in the midst of all of that, as as this is unfolding and they're eating this meal, Jesus turns to them and says, one of you is going to betray me. And they get there. That look, you can imagine. Is it me? Can't be me. Maybe he's talking about you. Ah, I think it's that guy at the end of the table. I never really trusted him anyway. And we're so quick to point the finger at other people or to think that somehow that betrayal of Jesus is beyond us. Jesus says, no, it's the one who's going to to dip the bread with me. He's the one that's going to betray me. He's the one. And he turns to Judas and says, go and do what you must do. And we know that Judas goes out and he makes that arrangement with the religious leaders of the day to sell out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. But we have to go back to that question. Is it I? Peter, we know, who is there, says, Lord, I would never betray you. I would never sell you out. I would would die first. We might say the same things. 
but somehow we sometimes say those things and we are like the proverbial person. You know, we say we would never do this, but then we have this intent in of our heart of kind of crossing our fingers behind our back and saying one thing and doing another. I would never betray Jesus. I would never bear false witness against him. And yet each one of us in our own lives can think at times when we've denied him. When we fail to speak up and defend the faith in the midst of a conversation or in overhearing a conversation with others where we have in some way let it go because of our own fears. I would never deny Jesus, and yet we do it sometimes in the very way that we live every day. The guilt is upon us just as it was upon Peter. I will never deny you, Lord. And Jesus says to him, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows in the morning. Can you imagine what's going through Peter's mind? Can you imagine, if you will, that he must be walking along and thinking that somehow he's not going to deny Jesus? And yet we know what happens. We know what happens later on. But in the meantime, as Jesus has laid this, this prophecy, if you will, before Peter and even before the rest of the disciples, they travel out and they go to the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus leaves the disciples and he takes three of them, Peter, James, and John, and goes off a little bit to pray and he tells them, keep watch. Keep watch while I go pray. And Jesus, we know, finds himself in the garden praying before God struggling with the events that he knows are going to unfold before him, struggling with facing the cross to the point where Luke tells us that he is sweating drops of blood, that he is in such anguish. And we know the context of the prayer, Father, I don't want to go through this. Take this cup from me. And then those key words, yet not my will but thine be done. Those are words that we need to hang on to because you see, we face those temptations every day in our lives. I don't want to go through the suffering or the pain or the ridicule or the things that people might say about me if I confess my faith or if I profess it publicly to other people. Take this cup from me, Lord. I don't want to do this. It's too hard. It's too challenging. We make the excuses. In the midst of a world that needs to hear the truth, we bear false witness. We break the Eighth Commandment by failing to speak it before others. The prayer from our lips when faced with those challenging and difficult situations where we are called by the Holy Spirit to share the testimony of our faith. 
the challenge before us is to focus on those words, thy will be done. Not my will, Lord, but yours. But we, in our own sinfulness, are often like the disciples sleeping in the garden. When we're told to keep watch, we fall asleep. When we're told to keep watch in this world, to pay attention to what's going on in order to share the gospel, we get sidetracked. We don't remember what's going on. We're tired and we're weary and we feel like we just can't fight the battle anymore. And yet, when we think about those things, we still, when we say, is it I, Lord, want to dismiss our own sins, our own shortfalls, our own inadequacies, and point the fingers at the one who's really guilty. It's not me, Lord. It's Judas. He's the one who comes to betray you. He's the one who even pretends to love you and to greet you as a friend. He's the one that puts the kiss on your cheek. That kiss of peace, that, that shalom, that greeting. Yes, Lord, I love you, but... Where do we go? The betrayals aren't over. We see Jesus arrested. Peter, who's still kind of working through it all in his own head and his own heart and thinking, I'm not going to betray Jesus. We know he's the one who whips out his sword when the soldiers come and he cuts off the, the ear of the high priest's servant, Malchus. as if somehow he's going to prove his worth, his manliness, his passion, his fervency, his dedication. Jesus is arrested. He's brought before the high priest. He's put on trial. And they convict him of blasphemy. Peter, watching it all unfold from a distance, is asked if he's one of Jesus' followers. He's not asked by soldiers. He's not threatened by arrest. He's asked by common people. Let me rephrase the questions that Peter was asked. You're one of them, aren't you? You go to church on Sundays. I know you are. Your, your humming gave you away. That's one of them Christian songs. I think I saw you praying the other day. I recognize you. 
You're one of them. And at those moments, we have the opportunity to speak the truth or to deny. Thank God he gives us the opportunity to confess our sins. The sin of denial, of betrayal, of false witness. For he calls us as believers to testify to the truth. And yet we struggle because, you see, our world struggles with the truth. And we know that what happens here is that the Jewish leaders have Jesus hauled before Pilate early the next day. And that was our gospel reading this evening, those words in that conversation between Jesus and Pilate. Where Jesus begins to express to Pilate, that he indeed is the king who came into the world to tell the truth, to share the truth, to live the truth. And Pilate says, what is truth? I like to echo the words of Jack Nicholson here. You can't handle the truth. The world can't handle the truth. The truth is Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by him. And that is the truth that we have to share. That Jesus was sent into this world to redeem us from our sins, to heal our brokenness by himself being wounded for our transgressions. By his taking our iniquities upon himself, the chastisement that he receives, the bruises that are his, the wounds that become his. He does it for us. Because you see, we, even ourselves, can't handle the truth. That we are sinners in need of a Savior. And God knows our hearts. And God knows our minds. And God knows we need Jesus. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for a friend. We need to sing the old hymn as loud as we can at the top of our voice. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. And we... 
We fix our eyes on Jesus, on the cross. And we begin to understand what he's doing there, and we'll see it tomorrow as he suffers and dies for us. And our thoughts go back to that upper room, that place where we were sharing a meal, where our feet were washed, we were comfortable with the food, and Jesus gave us the command, a mandate, a new commandment, from which this evening takes its name, Monday, mandate, commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. That's really what it's all about. It's about the love of a Savior for us. And it's about us sharing that love with one another and with the world. It's about washing the feet feeding the hungry, clothing the poor, taking care of the sick, standing firm on the faith blessed by the power of the Word and the Holy Spirit working in our hearts and not being afraid to confess the truth that Jesus is the Savior of the world, our Savior, my Savior, your Savior. By his wounds, we are healed. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all of our human understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the true faith of God in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.